0: This episode of Positive Space is brought to you by the Folding Art Horse, makers of professional-grade drawing horses. The patented Folding Art Horse uniquely folds flat, allowing for greater storage and portability. If you or a university don't have much storage space, the Folding Art Horse is for you. They're great for travel, too. Check out the Folding Art Horse at thefoldingarthorse.com. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes.
1: This is Valerie Powell, and welcome to Positive Space. Joining us via Skype, we have Colby Jennings. Welcome, Colby. Thanks for having me. Well, I thought we would start with a little introduction. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your artwork and maybe tell us teaching, where you are, all that good stuff.
2: Okay. So I am walking into my eighth year at Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri, I absolutely uh, love it here. It's a, it's a wonderful, really large department, which gives a lot of variety to both the student body and colleagues, which is awesome. A little plug there just in case they're listening. Um, and so my work changed a lot. You know, I, I did my undergraduate studies uh, and focused on computer animation, but my senior work for my undergraduate degree had absolutely nothing to do with animation, but everything to do with time-based media took a little time off. And then I went to grad school, uh, Washington State University, and there it just sort of expanded from, uh, well, actually, it's still time-based media is a good umbrella term for that because uh, I expanded into performance, I expanded into a variety of different kinds of interactivity, some of it truly interactive, and some of it sort of, uh, I guess, a faked interactive. And uh, yeah, yeah, I I teach some digital arts courses and time-based media courses here at Missouri State. I also teach as part of a a program, an interdisciplinary program that we have called the Electronic Arts Program, and I've developed a couple courses while I've been here. Uh, One of those is a digital foundations course, sort of injecting some digital tools and technologies into our foundation experience and um, developing these courses kind of led me down the path of, uh, I guess, research of teaching or how to become a better teacher and how to continue to work as a better teacher. I'm definitely one of those cases that I didn't pursue teaching for a steady paycheck while I continue to make my work, although I'm, I I, try and be as active as I possibly can and and have done I think a, a fair job of that, but my um, my teaching and my my studio practice are have a good synergy. I think to them, they're complementary of one another and connected in a lot of ways.
1: Oh, very very cool. Well, so maybe you could expand on that a little bit. Do you feel like your teaching informs your studio practice, or the other way around,
2: or both, or I, I, I think it's probably more of a true symbiotic relationship. You know, there when you see breakthroughs happen for students. It encourages me to want to go create or go work. When I see students playing with the materials, even digital tools and technology, it reminds me that this is supposed to be fun, even though we call it work and we call it research. And I do believe that creative research does generate new knowledge and new understanding in the same way that, well, maybe not in the same way, but in similar ways that, let's say. Researching the way viruses are passed around and communicated within certain uh, populations, you know, the study of that leads to new information. I definitely subscribe to the whole artography thing that sort of came out of the uh, Pacific Northwest. But yeah, they're 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 synergistic like that. Having breakthroughs or having challenges in my studio practice sometimes does come forward in the classroom. But I am pretty open with my students, and I talk about my practice with them, and I talk about challenges that I've experienced, I'm pretty, pretty open with my, with my students. I definitely don't, uh, I, I don't, I'm not even remotely interested in the whole stage on the stage thing. Right. So, so yeah, teaching, teaching is, it was something that I knew I wanted to do fairly early on, but I wasn't sure what route I was going to take to get there. I guess if that mm-hmm. makes sense.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, so, you know, do you find that when you're in the classroom and they're working on a project. Are you working on your own project at the same time, or do you kind of keep that outside of the classroom and you just sort of talk about the projects you're,
2: you're working on? Well, uh, unfortunately, I'm always working to some extent in my head because I'm always playing around with ideas or notions. Sort of, There's always a constant conversation back and forth with the sketchbook, obviously. Yeah, even, even digital artists and time-based artists, yeah, we use sketchbooks. Um, but uh, there's a lot more writing in there than there is anything. It's it's not something that there's a lot of a lot of clear divisions, and I guess because of that, it it sort of does bleed over a little bit. I don't, I, I definitely don't bring in immature work or things that aren't ready to be shown. Uh, I don't bring my work into the classroom like that. Uh, I have to live with my work for quite a while before I'm ready to show it to anybody, even my students. Which you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should let them in on some of my failures. But um, <laughs> but you know, those are that's just that's just been part of my practice for quite a while but you know i they i, I do allow them to critique my work and um, oh. you know ask questions of that you know and i I've, I've learned a lot through that process because the critique process is, is is very important to all of my classrooms foundations through senior level experience you know they learning to drop their egos at the door not the whole like scary critique thing that you hear about you know some east coast school where everybody walks out weeping and wants to give up art completely. (laughs) But the critical thinking skills are are incredibly important, which is why I'm also glad to be part of a school that really values the liberal liberal arts experience or liberal arts education, really. As a state school, you know, they've, they've got to take all these other courses outside of their major area, which makes them a more informed citizen, makes them a more informed student and makes them Uh, more capable of being able to converse on a wide variety of subjects. So I think all those things combined really make for an enjoyable teaching experience for me. I I tell my students all this this all the time that I, I, I have the best job in the world. And yes, that's subjective, uh, because it's the best <laughs> job in the world for me, but I love it, you know?
1: Sure. No, that's, that's so important. And I think it's so important to, to really enjoy what you're doing. And I think when, when I was in school, I mean, I, I could sort of tell there were professors that I had that were very engaged and really curious and really present. And then, you know, we've probably all had professors that maybe weren't as much in the zone or in, in the room even. So, sure. um, so and- I think it's, it's nice to, to sort of think about, The roles that we play in in those kinds
2: of spaces. Sure. And, and being mindful of that, I've even seen, I've seen colleagues go through spells where they seem less engaged and then you see them just completely change one day and all of a sudden they're more, they're re-engaged and you don't know what's happened in either in their studio practice or they've been reinvigorated by something that's happening in in, in the, um, in the teaching space. But those th- it's a constant evolution. It's not just something that sticks with you. It's something to be mindful of. It's something to continue to grow in. And so I've, I've got a lot of great faculty to look up to and to learn from, and at the same time, sort of keep me mindful of my own game. You know.
1: Well, sure, and 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 I think that's really true of the classroom as well. It's like, you know, we could have a student on the first day that, you know, maybe seems like they're not very into it, and then that can evolve and change, you know, throughout the semester, you know, so sort of being mindful, like you're saying, of of that freedom to evolve.
2: Sure, and, and, and that even happens with the physical spaces. Students walk into a classroom that has a bunch of easels put up, ready to tape paper up, and um, with a pencil, away they go on a still life or a model or their left hand or their right hand or whatever they're drawing, you know. Those kinds of spaces, there are certain <laughs> expectations, I guess, for those kinds of spaces, whether it's through myth or otherwise. And then there's a different kind of experience when they walk into a room that is lined up with desks and on those desks sit computers. And so uh, those those things change the whole experience. And so that's an additional challenge. Um, well, again, I'm sure there are challenges for teaching all kinds of things, you know, access to materials for a, a 3d sculpture lab, but the, the computer really does change the experience. And so to integrate that into any level of the creative process or the creative teaching experience is difficult, you know, foundations through thesis, I guess, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something I'm interested in. I'm interested in how to move students beyond their fear of technology or their abuse of technology or their inability to really utilize technology in any sort of meaningful way and to engage with it at a more base level. Those are, those are all things that I'm really interested in. And I, uh, I, I kind of, that's how I got involved with FATE, really. I was interested in how to, how can we better integrate, and there are a lot, of there are lots of people doing this, and I look up to a lot of them, but I also am sort of encouraged by this and want to be part of that conversation because it's only going to help make me a better teacher, but really how to better integrate technology within the studio arts classroom. It's it's hard to get them to remember that even though they're sitting in front of a computer, they are in a, in a creative space, a space that will be at times tutorial-based, but the, the point is to be making art of some kind or learning the principles of art making. So that was one of the ways that I got involved with fate really through a friend and uh, proposed a paper. And I've been a really tried to try to be an active member ever since that.
1: I think one of the things that you mentioned that I, I found really curious is this idea that, you know, you have this room full of computers and, but you want to have this space and this environment where students can critique and have conversation and when you're sitting in front of a computer with a chair, you know, where you're just sort of encouraged to look right at that thing, collaboration and sort of sharing and, and dialogue can sometimes get really quiet, you know, when, when there's all those screens. Have, have you found ways or tips for how to break that up or how to encourage the conversation, the collaboration and the sharing still within this technological environment?
2: Well, you, you know, I'm. I'm. There are a, a lot of people, some of whom are that have grown to be friends of mine, who are also interested in this idea. And I've got, I've got several ideas. Some of them aren't really conducive with reality. Some of those ideas involve needing additional space, which, to um, use a really cheesy pun, space is truly the final frontier within education. And that access to space, access to additional space, the appropriate or even something close to an ideal teaching space is very hard to come by so again from a top down view from a helicopter view from a lot of administrators not all but some digital foundations that occurs on a computer or with a computer well that that they need a computer lab and that serves that purpose that's it there it is done boom okay got that one taken care of um on to the next one right then, then they're worried about how do we vent out the chemicals in the uh, printmaking lab, those kinds of things. So it's difficult to get them to experience that unless somebody has come out of one of those traditions or one of those experiences. So it's it's a lot of work in terms of the actual sort of institutional and sort of administrative side of things where you're having those conversations about what's, what's best in terms of Creating a true destination program, if you will, you know that's that's a buzzword on our campus, right? How do we create destination programs? Programs that students come from a lot of different places to come and and be part of that program. So you know, I, I've got ideas on that, uh, right. but there's no there's no one answer that I think solves it because there's so many variables. I mean, the it would be great to be able to move the computers to the walls of the classroom, the edges of the classroom, because each of those computers ends up just being a barrier between collaboration, conversation, and all of these different things. And something happens with that rolly chair that's sort of in that sort of reminiscent of, I guess, maybe even an office space, not the office space, that's the show. No, an <laughs> office space, the, 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 the mindset that that creates, again, is, 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 is more clinical uh, then it is creative. And, you know, but then it's hard for them to, I guess, see a projector if you're doing a tutorial. So then what do you need to do? Do you need to hang screens on the wall so they can see from wherever they're at? But that open, empty space in the middle would be more inviting, you know, in the drawing, and the drawing studio, if you're standing up drawing, it's, it's very natural. I mean, your teachers tell you, get away from that drawing for a second, rest your eyes, look at some others, somebody else's drawing you'll you'll see that in your perspective, but you don't see people doing that in the digital foundations or in the digital senior level classes you just don't unless you're forcing them okay now get out of your get out of your chair, go look at what your peers are doing and even then it's you're forcing them to do that it's not natural so how to integrate digital tools and technology something that they're they they're using constantly anyway you know i'm just I guess I'm just old enough where computers were still a, a super great big fascination and we didn't have one for the longest time. And so some of my friends were spending their time with their head under the hood of a car. And I was taking off the side of our computer and looking inside of it when my parents weren't looking, cause they were just sure I was just going to either break it or electrocute myself. <laughs> but the, there was a fascination there and it wasn't, it wasn't a given for me. And I guess that's sort of helped form my relationship with digital tools and technology is that it wasn't ever a expectation of it's, you know, it's always going to be there because it was not in my life. And then one day there was a computer in my life. So, uh, right,
1: right. Same here. And and my experience with computers in the beginning was just a very one-on-one experience. It was like me and the computer and it didn't like take me places. I just typed things on it,
2: you know, <laughs> like, sure. and, then the, well, and then
1: the internet happened and then it became this whole other thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. and And that's one of the things that I, I, I was sort of eager to interact with people. Obviously there was a, even in the early days of the internet there was a lot of hostility and 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 uh, nefarious things that were happening in some sort of these chat spaces but i was interested in engaging with different communities and talking to different people because coming from a living in a rural town and living out in the country even is a little bit sort of isolating at times yeah i got to have things like dirt bikes but all my friends were in town riding their bikes back and forth and so so it was a different kind of experience, but it's hard now to relay what that's like to not have a computer. And then one day you've got a computer that, that, that switch that flips in your head of potential is not something that's happened for now. My student population for most of them anyways. Yes. Some students coming out of a variety of different socioeconomic backgrounds may still have that experience, but now it's more pervasive. Now it's more expected. Oh, technology is part of life. When I get to a certain age, I'm going to have a smartphone. When I go to college, I'm going to have a laptop, you know? Um, and so then their expectations of what those things do is by the time I get them, even in foundations, it's, it's kind of set in stone. Oh, you use this to message people. You use this to set up parties and events Oh, yeah, there's Photoshop. We know how to use that. I use that to put Chris Christie on the beach or riding a whale or, you know, put Vladimir <laughs> right. Putin riding a polar bear chested. The, the expectations of what to do with these things are already set up. And all of that kind of has to be wiped away. And you're never going to get rid of all of it. But those are just some of the challenges. And I guess that's why I'm interested in uh, the pursuit of better teaching practices for the digital foundations and and all of the the digital classroom
1: Well, you know, and I'm curious in in terms of this conversation about space and and what sort of ideal and and what's working and and all of that, it's you know, I know a lot of programs have those kind of courses online. So their space is is not even rows of desks or whatever with computers. It's it's like virtual. And so the fact that you have it in like a face-to-face environment is is really nice. I mean, is that something that you had to sort of suggest or were they wanting to take things online? Do do you guys have like an online component to this
0: course?
2: We don't have. And I've actually shied away from, there was some suggestions at first on how to set up maybe some sort of digital space where students could interact. Mm. But we were struggling to get them to interact physically. So the idea of these forced interactions that happen, let's say, in these really odd spaces, like let's say Blackboard Online. Blackboard right. can be a great piece of software if the classes make sense for that but the forced interactions of putting up a post and then requiring that everybody submit some sort of response just it it, it, that's not something that meshes well with the goals of the foundations the digital foundations classroom so yeah I do have some friends who who actually believe the believe in the idea that maybe that digital foundations classroom should exist within that digital realm I utilize some uh, digital uh, tutorials that are readily available and and freely produced by some really brilliant educators, because I definitely believe in not reinventing the wheel, but that physical space is still necessary, even if it's imperfect. Even if that space is imperfect and needs a lot of adjustment, continued evolution of that space can only happen if you've got the students there. And I often even ask for their feedback and input about, you know, how how could we better arrange this space? How could we make this more conducive to so that you would maybe feel like getting up and walking around where you would feel like you can do that? Because, you know, in their computer science class that they might have had to take for their gen eds, they probably weren't encouraged to do that. So, you know... Uh, With my animators, uh, with my animation students, I tell them, you know, in order to to create animation, you yourself have to be animated. Uh, So they learn to get up. But it's just a struggle. And there's no right or wrong answer, I I don't think. Um, But like I said, I'm constantly trying ideas. And when something doesn't work, I don't necessarily scrap it. But maybe it goes on the back burner for a while because maybe it can be tweaked and it, it would work. So but again like i said it goes back to some of them just aren't conducive with the realities that we face
1: right and that's i think an important thing to be aware of it's like some things you can change and some things you just can't but i think being in tune and being aware and you know being flexible to to say well how can we do this better within this rectangular room or whatever is so important you know to think about and, and so your your primary audience are they animation majors that are taking this course within foundations or is it sort of a mixed bag?
2: Well, the foundations course that I helped develop is required by, well, okay, okay, I, I say that we're having a conversation as, as a department right now as to whether or not that class will be an either or replacement for one of our other foundations courses or if it should be in addition to. I'm of the mind that it should be in addition to just because I still do believe in the value of having a good, rich, solid foundations experience. So, no, this is for everybody. Drawing major, yeah, they're going to be in that class. Graphic design major, they're going to be in that class too. Um, Obviously, the faculty coming from different areas have different ideas of what needed to take place in that class. There were a lot of conversations and sort of gnashing of teeth. Well, this needs to be primarily tutorial based. We need to teach them the software. That way I don't have to do that, you know, in my next level class in my sophomore, my junior level class, but that's sort of discouraging too, because that doesn't again, help to foster that, that experience of collaboration or of that artistic creative, uh, bubbling up of, uh, whatever those creative juices are, you know, within that, um, that space, it, those things aren't conducive to that. When you're going in every day and you're showing them how to find certain buttons in Photoshop or find certain buttons in whatever piece of software, so I, you know, trying to integrate things like actual or creative, you know, that changes, or it, it, in in a lot of students, anyways, it changes what they understand is possible on that digital tool or on that computer. Um, When you start working with external uh, sensors or microprocessors or, um, you know, or even actually getting away from the computer altogether and taking old toys and doing a little bit of soldering and circuit bending on them. um, They're still working with quote unquote, the digital tools and technologies, but they're it's truly a more creative and playful space, which is kind of the point. And, Um, should be part of the process, you know? Yeah, it it takes a long time to to learn how to draw the line that you're really looking for or um, really have mastery over that paintbrush or pencil. It doesn't take very much to pick it up, though. It takes longer to pick up some of these digital tools and technologies, but not near as much time to master, so they can actually get on with the art making a little bit sooner, but you've got to get over some hurdles.
1: Right, right. And and I think expanding the understanding of technology that it's it's not necessarily all screened based, you know, that it doesn't have to be you sitting in front of a, a rectangle or whatever and you're doing this thing, but it can involve moving around and, and circuits and other kinds of sound experiences or that it doesn't just have to be Photoshop, which is important or, you know,
2: Sure and there's and and one of the great or some some great examples of that are some off the shelf technology that was developed for one purpose a lot of uh, you know other artists out there or other computer programmers have helped the community at large be able to utilize them for things other than maybe what they were originally intended for the <laughs> microsoft connect is one example of the, of that where it's been utilized to do all kinds of things in fact our large-scale uh, 3D scanning setup is just an array of uh, Microsoft Connect sensors, and sort of uh, the technology has grown since then. And there are people in, who are marketing things who are, that are essentially kind of a scaled-down version of the Microsoft Connect. But you know, being able to utilize off-the-shelf technologies and change the way they function, or uh, get, get creative even with what's possible with those things, is part of that teaching them about uh, the importance of the open source community and why they themselves, if they end up developing something, why they should com- consider maybe, again, giving back to that community. So there's there's cultural things to be talked about as well within um, the digital arts. And that's just, uh, just technology-based, let alone the ways in which these tools and technologies have changed the way artists make. We uh, had a very interesting conversation um, with a senior faculty member who was talking about his students not needing a course like this. And I really had to do some convincing and show how a lot of contemporary artists who their end product might not be digital, but how they're still utilizing digital tools and technologies within their process. So there's convincing on both sides, convincing of, you know, a convincing a drawing student, why they should have to take a digital foundations class. So, you know, it's a, a lot of challenges, And uh, but I love it, you know. It 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 causes me to have to be creative within my teaching practice, and not that I wasn't already interested in doing so, but it presents specific challenges that really engage that whole problem solving side of your brain.
1: Right, and 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 I think we have to sort of constantly be aware of those questions that come up, whether it's from students or parents or colleagues, that are saying, "Well, wait a minute, why is this really relevant? Or why do they need to learn this their first year? You know, or, or you know, or why do I need to know this if I'm going to be a photo major or a graphic designer or what have you?" But being able to really sell an idea or a concept um, in terms of it being relevant, I think, is so important in terms of foundations.
2: Absolutely. And you know, the uh, the idea you you break the you break the graphite off the end of a pencil, you resharpen it, you go on, right? Nobody's really scared of breaking pencils or breaking charcoal. Yeah, you break a big piece of vine charcoal, it's a little disappointing, but you go on. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: People obviously computers are a, a lot a lot more expensive pencil, but we still need students to get over that fear of breaking them, you know, in terms of particularly in terms of software the worst thing that can happen is if your piece of software that you wrote ends up corrupting the hard drive, that computer can be wiped and reloaded. Yeah. You might lose some work, but it comes back to life. It's good as new, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there are other things when you get into circuit bending that you can end up actually doing, think, doing to a computer that maybe make it not come back from the grave, so to speak, but <laughs> right. getting. Getting them over the fear of the technology while at the same time getting them over their predisposed notions of what technology can do for them. You know? Again, this this group of students coming in now and, and coming in for the last couple of years, technology is such a ever present and almost almost seamlessly integrated part of their lives that they have forgotten to see it for its creative potential, whereas, oh, my gosh, you put them in front of a piece, a large piece of paper and a pencil, there's so much potential there, right? Like, there, the, the, they immediately know there's potential there. You give them a block of clay, and the potential is is sort of inherent there, but the inherent potential for the digital tool has sort of gone away, and the original creators of the computer would probably, um, or I've heard them talk about this, which is why I bring this up. You know, that was never the intention to begin with. You know, the idea that a computer user is also not a computer programmer was just such a foreign idea. the whole The whole notion was that if you don't currently have what you need, you can make it on that computer. Mm-hmm. Well, we've gotten into this we've gotten into this sort of rut where now I just well, I'm going to go buy that five dollar app on um, the app store. I'm going to go buy. A subscription to adobe that costs an arm and a leg
1: right and it's quick and it's like immediate and you know it's curious to me that you know so many times whenever i'm introducing time time-based things in foundations it seems like the students think that because it's time-based it doesn't take any time at all to make it you know <laughs> it's just really quick it's like super easy and there's no process you know there's no preparing there's no planning it's just like boom boom click click done and um and i have found it kind of challenging at times to really get them to sort of see that process. Whereas in drawing or in ceramics, they see the preparation and they see the gessoing the canvas and, you know, sanding and what whatever. Whereas sometimes with technology, you know, I don't know if they see it that way.
2: Yeah. I, I had a, I had a painting teacher in my undergraduate experience. It was, it was a painting one class and he purposely took time out for us to learn how to make our own paint. We had to get a hold of, he gave us some choices in terms of oils as the vehicle, and then uh, we were able to get some dry pigment. And so he he took the time to hopefully build an appreciation. And yeah, it didn't get through to everybody, but it did leave a lasting impact on me, even though I'm not a painter and I haven't used painting in my studio practice in a very long time, that appreciation for the material, that appreciation for the process was something that stuck with me. Now, building a computer is not necessarily akin to that, but is part of the process. But so is writing your own software. So is writing a small program. So is using multiple tools along the way. You know, Photoshop might be one part of the process, but let's throw a, a monkey wrench into the system and force students to print it out copy it on a black and white toner copier three times so that it's degrading each time they have to scan that back in and then utilize that as a substrate for the project that they're working on so providing obstruction for students that moves them in and out of the digital realm is one way to do that but you're exactly right the whole idea of time-based media well i'm going to take my phone i'll record a couple of strange camera angles on uh, a bee pollinating a flower and, uh, the surface of my coffee that I got from that, you know, uh, hipster coffee shop down the way, I'm going to edit those together. And then I'm going to force everybody else to find meaning in that, you know, that's, you're exactly right. And you know, not everybody's into clever art, but the idea formation process needs to, to be a part of that. Um, and I, so I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I have Again, I don't have answers on that, but I have ideas on how to continue to grow in that realm.
1: Yeah, well, same here. I mean, I feel like I don't really have answers for a lot of things. Yeah, you know, as and and I think that that kind of helps to keep things more open by by being sort of flexible, and that's that's one thing I've really found with the fate community that is just so refreshing. You know, is that no one's like I've kind of got this. I'm sort of I figured it out. Here's the secret. You know, everyone's in the trenches going, hey, you know, how can we do this better, and how can we champion each other? You know, in that process.
2: Absolutely. And that's actually one of the one of the things that's really led me to feel sort of protective over the sort of fake community. Uh, I won't name any names, but there have been other professional organizations that I have been a member of or continue to be a member of and attend and I've uh, presented at, at some of those spaces. But the community and the energy at the fake conference is, is really like, you know, nothing else that I've experienced thus far. Because it really is sort of at the grassroots ground level of everybody, everybody there's like, oh, yeah, I've got this figured out. I'll share this with you. But what do you, what, what have you done? You know, what have you tried? What have you been able to experience? Oh, you're you're struggling with your administrators because if you rearrange your classroom, you're going to drop your capacity by two. How did you have that conversation? Or those are more pragmatic things all the way to how did you how did you introduce these tools and technologies in a creative way? How did you, did, were you able to integrate things like performance into digital, the digital foundations class, or does that belong better in a sculpture class, which is sort of the tradition where performance grew out of? I've had some really amazing and engaging conversations, and some of them weren't really even built in around some of the papers that I've presented, you know, they were just sort of uh, passing conversations. Um, it, like I said, it's really, it's really caused me to sort of fall in love with that, with the community, even though, you know, I know, I, I know per, personally and by, and, and by name few of the members, but the energy there is so welcoming and so sharing and so built on collaboration that it, it's awesome. I'm, I'm not necessarily trying to like win brownie points here, but it truly is pretty cool.
1: <laughs> well, no, and I mean, I, I feel the same way. It's, it's so nice to just be able to talk to someone and maybe you just have a five minute conversation but it goes really deep and it's not what's your title mer, 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 you know all those things whatever sure. it's it just and then I can see that person again and it just feels like oh we're like old friends now you know because we had that brief but but really meaningful
2: exchange. Absolutely and the, the connection is the important thing like you said uh, I think you said something about being in the trenches we realize that we have shared experiences we're all in the trenches together and fate is by its very by its very nature and the way it's constructed attracts people who are engaged with the process of of teaching, of the research of teaching, of growing as an educator, of not stagnating and providing the best Mm -hmm. experience for the students that they can. You know, again, this isn't a collection of people who went into teaching to just get a steady paycheck. These are people who consciously made the decision to become an educator. And want to continue to grow in that. So uh, I have I've had just random strangers that I've come, you know, after a paper or something that I present or a panel that I've been on come up to me and tell me that they want to share a syllabus and some assignments with me and materials and links and I, I mean, know.
1: Isn't that just I love like nerding out on all of that stuff?
2: Like, oh I, I, it's I, so totally, good. I, I geek on that stuff and, and, yeah. and really I'm probably I'm one of those Probably at those at those conferences, the people are like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to try and get away from this conversation here. This guy's been talking my ear (laughs) off for 30 minutes. But, um, you, you know, it's we sometimes miss that level of engagement. My 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 faculty that I work with are great and they are engaging. But when you work with them a lot, you know, the areas that they that they sort of where their expertise is and you can call them in on those expertise, but it's, it's wonderful to be in those spaces where you don't know somebody's expertise and you've got to ask them questions for that. And they may end up saying something to you that they didn't even realize that they were interested in. And so those conversations are, are, are two way in that they're helpful for both the person asking the question, the person being asked, sometimes saying it out loud (laughs) offers new realizations. Absolutely. And I've, I found
1: it so helpful to just sort of gather knowledge, like, okay, like this is how this other state school is doing this, or this is, this seems like a normal amount of students to have in a classroom. Okay, well, that's different than what I'm experiencing. This is helpful information, you know, to, to bring to like your administrators or to just help to advocate for those kind of dreamy things that we often need in the classroom or within our own programs.
2: Sure. And, and again, for those of us who do truly geek out on the ability to combine your studio practice with your teaching practice, I mean, it's, 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 there's, there's truly room for new, new knowledge building and, and, and new understandings to be generated in the classroom and in your studio practice. And, you know, I've, I've had, I've had conversations at Fate too that have also affected my studio practice, but oh, sure, um, you know, you just, you, you meet some wonderful people and, it's so nice to share the love of teaching, even if your studio practices are completely different or somebody somebody has a studio practice, but maybe that's not their emphasis. Maybe they're at a school where either there's no support or there's no substrate for support for um, their studio practice. So maybe their studio practice is still active, but in, in a different level than somebody else's. But your love of teaching and your, your want or need to continue to get better at that just brings you together immediately, you know?
1: Yeah, and it's, it's so nice to just be in a room of other really curious people. And I just find that so attractive, you know? It's like everyone's really sincerely interested on many levels that, you know, with, with various things, but it's it's super, super fun. Well, and so you've developed this digital foundations course, right? And so that's part of like that first year experience. Uh-huh. But then, but then you also teach upper level courses, correct? Correct. So you kind of live in both worlds, which I would imagine, I mean, is that more challenging? Cause I mean, I've been teaching strictly foundations for, I don't know, maybe eight years or something. And do you, do you find that it, it sort of helps you in terms of curriculum development and foundations to then see those students, you know, two years later?
2: Absolutely. I, in fact, I love it. And if somebody gave me the choice of being able to just focus on one side or the other, I, I, I don't know what I would say to them because I like having that big picture view of the process of delivering step-by-step step or, in this class and in this class, how how they lead into one another and how each class can be built upon. Like I, I think I mentioned when I was developing that class, there were I had colleagues and a lot of colleagues had specific ideas on what they wanted to see in that class. Some of them took a very technical route, you know. Oh, in my class, in my sophomore level class, again, I don't wanna teach the pen tool or I don't wanna have to teach the foundations of Photoshop. So that's what needs to happen in this class, and that's it. Well, you know, that that's not what happens in 2D or 3D foundations, and that's not what should happen in digital foundations. Yeah, there are a lot of tutorial-based things that need to happen there, but the, there's also an opportunity to engage them early on in these conversations of art-making or meaning-making or, you know, uh, provoking thought, asking questions, or... Purely making for the fact that they're interested in what can I do with this material and this medium. So, being able to build that and seeing that from a big picture is is really something that I love. I I personally am 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 not the most detail oriented person, and uh, I think a lot of my colleagues would agree with that. But what <laughs> I what I what I think I am good at is seeing the relationships from a large picture perspective of let's say the curriculum as a whole for this program and how do we achieve the goals of the entire program by year 4 you know mm-hmm, how do mm-hmm. we how do we over time get these students to come out of their shells or or ex- expose them to things where maybe they realize this major isn't for them i mean both of, both of those are incredibly important because you want those students to find those things where things click for them or that place where things click for them and, and it all comes together. So both, both are incredibly important, but I love that, that I, I, it sounds, it would sound sort of uh, presumptuous of me to say that holistic view, but getting to have access to that view from whether a curriculum development standpoint or how to tailor my teaching uh, is I, I think incredibly valuable for at least the way I teach.
1: Sure. And being able to speak to the whole experience, you know, and thinking about what this particular student is going to experience within four years or five years. I think it's important to not just think of foundations as like an island and each major as their own like silo, but really to think about what are those connectors and how do they work together. That's
0: that's super crucial.
2: Yeah, and, and as large as our faculty is, as large as our group of faculty in our department are, if we, we really don't have that many faculty who get to dedicate all their time to foundations. Ours is still one of those schools that has yet to really... I mean, we have a foundations coordinator, and we have faculty that will teach foundations, but we also have a new graduate program that we're utilizing, or we're, we're allowing our, our graduate students to get some teaching experience through the foundations program. And we 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 our reality is we also make use of uh, adjunct faculty in the area mm-hmm. um, for foundations, and so really there's a lot of variety that happens within foundations. So I found it as a really uh, great opportunity to 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 get to help develop that class really, and and in terms of the curriculum and some of the things, I just I built a framework, but I also built in enough flexibility. Whereas one graduate student whose emphasis is in time-based media and photography, can still utilize their specialty, utilize their love for a particular medium. In a couple of the projects, seeing the faculty engaged or seeing the the teacher engaged, is is, is helps to make a better experience for the students, even if they are stuck behind a uh, computer. So adding that flexibility in there, but at the same time making sure that even in those cl- even in those uh, projects where they've made them sort of their own, that the goals are still met through the results. So right. um so I, I don't know. I, I I actually I actually like the idea and it, it would probably be very messy, but I like the idea of the entire department at least being able to weigh in on the development of foundations courses and foundations level experiences. Now that's not to say that they should all have an equal say as somebody who's specializing in foundations, but I mean we are we can't do okay so somebody who just teaches upper level courses they can't do the job that they need to do or get the students in the space that they need them if foundations isn't getting done what it needs to get done now it's hard to tailor foundations class to truly you know service any one major specifically But there are still things that can be done to help make that a more synergistic relationship from, again, foundations through thesis.
1: Right. And, and, and I think having those conversations with the entire faculty and saying, okay, like what's working, what can we do better? What do you need? And, and not in this place of like, well, I don't want to teach this, so let's just give it to foundations, you know, but, but in, in this really honest way of thinking about, you know, what do the students really need to know and what's really crucial and, and what's more specialized. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's so important that everybody feels like they're buying into this thing, even if they're not teaching it, you know? Because it really does affect everybody.
2: Absolutely, I, I I I don't again spend all of my time in foundations, and in fact, I teach a couple of different th- courses that you you could consider foundations, even though they all they exist maybe in the sophomore or even junior level. I teach a, a junior level course. It's called the fundamentals of collaboration, and it's part of an electronic art, art um, electronic arts program and uh but that class even still is is foundations it just just so happens to be at the junior level because it's foundations of something a little different right but all of that being said i can't imagine not being a part of fate because foundations quite literally through the name is what we're building all of our other courses on our programs on and and hopefully building our students very rich and engaging experiences on. So mm-hmm. I, 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 even if, even if I don't teach another foundations course for a couple of years, I, I, I see myself definitely still trying to engage with fate and, um, and as much as I can.
1: Oh, wonderful. Well, and I, I wanted you to be able to talk a little bit about this international program, uh, that you've been a part of, I want to say in China or maybe South Korea. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure. So our university is, is very actively engaged in trying to develop relationships internationally, as is any other time, any other right. university. You know, we where everybody realizes that growth and existence is going to depend on um, international engagement, and so we have standing relationships with many um, universities in China. But every time there's a new one or a new possibility, our university likes to send an ambassador, quote unquote. This particular university in Xi'an, China, happened to find my work, I guess, through the website and said, you know, would I be able to do that? Um, So I got to go over and be a guest artist slash lecturer for two weeks. So I taught a course on actual interactivity and time-based media, and that was a lot of fun. I was teaching to a a collection of students who were studying graphic design and then animation. This particular school didn't have much in the way of a foundations experience. They went immediately into animation one, animation two, animation three, or graphic design one, two, and three. So Mm. this was actually a cool experience because I, I taught this class as really a foundations level, but it was like a foundations level boot camp in interactivity. So we talked about all the different ways that you can interact and work. I talked about early interactivity, you know, Robert Rauschenberg's white paintings where, you know, if your shadow was cast on that painting, you were, it was kind of an interactive and analog interactive um, mm. piece. And maybe some of it was lost in translation. I don't know. Every, for the first three days I showed up the first day to class and I had one translator I showed up the second day. I had two translators, and on the third day, I had three translators. So I don't know if I was wearing them out or if they just, you know, needed to tag in and tag out because it was a four and a half or five hour course each morning. But that was a great experience, and we're continuing to sort of try and nurture and develop that. and And then we also have a program that we are in the in the, in the constant state of developing for a short term study abroad in uh, Korea, which is actually a great place to go and experience. A different kind of culture, uh, different ways of utilizing technology, ways that technology is better integrated um, and more seamlessly integrated within society. And it's also, to to be honest, it's less expensive than traveling to Japan, which was some of the first responses that I got that students wanted to go to was Japan, right? Mm. Um, Where people forget all of the amazing experiences and things to be had um, in Korea And it was actually a little bit more affordable. So yeah, those are all all, also really important things. But that goes back to my strong belief behind the idea of liberal liberal arts education and the variety and the multitude of experiences just makes for better engaged students, makes for better engaged citizens makes for more informed students that can uh, speak to a variety of different things, or at least engage in conversation on a variety of things. And and so it, it makes them more open-minded as to what maybe art can do or what they can do with art or what they can do, even if art isn't what they end up making their living off of. Maybe they are inspired to make art a part of their life in some other way. But those programs are a lot of fun. And I only hope that I get to continue to, to work with some of those. But Real, again based on realities it does take a lot of time um to get set up and the oh the uh, the system over there in terms of when classes start and stop isn't always conducive with being able to leave during the semester i ended up leave, having to actually do this program at, in xian china during the semester so then because of the time difference i was skyping in to check in with my students to um, you know it'd be midnight or one o'clock there. So I was Skyping in to check in with my students to see how they were doing, to for them to share me share with me their work and to have small critiques. Oh, wow. Just because I was gonna be gone for two weeks and that's a large chunk of time that these students I don't want to I don't want to sound pretentious that they needed me, but they definitely did need the engagement or they needed someone to continue to be that catalyst for engagement, even if that means you know collaborating with one another
1: right absolutely
2: yeah they needed that sort of accountability so yeah it wasn't it wasn't vacation at all it was uh work in the morning a little bit of exploration in the afternoon and then trying to check in with my students in the evening
1: very cool though i mean it it seems like such a a really valuable experience to sort of have that, you know, I mean, not only for you, but, but for them. But I mean, I think just having that experience teaching a classroom of students that are not English speakers, you know, and that are, are you know, it just kind of expands your worldview.
2: Absolutely. And we all have pre-existing ideas of, of what some experience is going to be before we walk into it. And I have to say that the work that came out of this two-week workshop Completely blew away my expectations. The the students took to the experience. They committed themselves. They they completely gave themselves over to the process that I asked them, and it was it was great. Matter of fact, I came back with a lot of great ideas, sort of reinvigorated, and also it it, it sort of upped my level of expectation that if in two weeks we were able to achieve that I, again, albeit we I had them for five hours a day, but it. Sort of changed my expectations of what to expect of my own students back here that I get to see on a daily basis. and I see them in my classroom and in the hallway and in my office. So it's maybe made me a little bit not tougher, but again, the quality and level of expectation that that I have is 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 better because of it.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. that's that's really, really an exciting thing. Well, Colby, thank you so much for talking with us today. I've really enjoyed it.
2: You are very welcome, and I'm, I'm glad you're doing this, and I think it's very cool that Fate has its own podcast, thanks to you all. I, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you today. Uh, definitely would do it again in a heartbeat.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank
2: you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.